Hello and welcome to our podcast on the gender pension gap. I'm Sarah Pennells and I'm the Consumer Finance Specialist here at Royal London. And I'm Claire Moffat and I'm Royal London's pension expert. Now there's been a lot of focus on improving the gender pay gap in recent years, which we've seen some progress with. But one area that's becoming more of a focus is the gender pension gap, a very real issue, not just for women approaching retirement today, but for those starting their working lives. As part of our research into the impact of automatic enrolment 10 years on, we decided to look into the gender pension gap in more detail to find out why it exists and more importantly, what can be done to address it. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. We've got some great guests for today's podcast. Natasha Fathers, who is a financial advisor and director of Horsens Wealth Management, and Daniel Frampton, financial advisor from Acumen Financial. Hello, and thanks very much for joining us today. Good morning. Good morning. Well, before we get started with the gender pension gap in detail, let's remind ourselves of some of the key statistics about automatic enrolment. It's increased the number of people saving into a pension since 2011 by around a third, which is undoubtedly good news. But Claire, the headline figure masks some differences in terms of full-time and part-time workers and between men and women. Yes, that's right, Sarah. So great news that auto enrolment has had such a positive impact on UK worker savings habits. Um, when we look at, at 2011, as you mentioned. But interestingly, there are more full-time women than men participating. So it's 91% versus 89%. And it's actually similar when we look at part-time as well. So 86% of uh, female employees are participating versus 74% of men. Now, women earn less on average than men. So how much less and what impact does that have? So women, of course, know they need to contribute to a pension, but with 38% of employed women in the UK working part time, well, they're actually far less likely to qualify for auto enrolment. Average earnings for part time work is just below £7,000 per year. Across their lifetime, women will earn an average of £380,000 compared to £643,000 for men. And our research shows that women are less likely than men to contribute more than the statutory minimum. That difference across the, the earnings across the lifetime is quite significant. But Natasha, before we hear from you, tell me about your advice firm. Who do you advise? And also, what's your response to the overall findings in our gender pension gap report? Um, yeah, so I, I'm director of Horsens Wealth Management. Um, our client bank is predominantly um, owner-managed SME businesses as well as um, high net worth um, clients themselves that need more complex tax planning. As a result of the way the business is, we've had quite a heavy involvement with the implementation of auto enrollment since it began in 2012. And we probably have set up in excess of 200 pension schemes for our clients over that term. And the majority of those are still in touch with us and we regularly review these with their employees and employers in turn. Um, I'm a chartered financial advisor myself, been qualified since 2007, as well as being a mortgage and equity release specialist and long-term care specialist. So I have a breadth of knowledge and experience in all areas of financial planning, really, which I think lends itself well to helping employers and their employees their different life stages. And what about the report? What was your kind of response in terms of what we've uncovered around the gender pension gap? 
I mean, there's some significant figures in there. The 126,000 retirement shortfall, um, quite scary, really, when you think about the difference in what that could make to somebody's retirement journey. So I think raising awareness is very, very important of this matter in order to try and close that gap even more. And Daniel, thanks, Natasha. And Daniel, same question to you. Just tell us a bit about who you advise and your sort of overall thoughts on the findings in our report. Yeah, absolutely. So I work for Acumen Financial Partnership during the firm about five years ago. Um, I'm a fellow of the Personal Finance Society, generally work quite heavily on the investment and pension planning side of things. As a, as a firm, we provide quite holistic advice, so obviously well-rounded, um, with um, generally our clients being uh, defined benefit pension transferees. And um, on top of that, we do deal with a lot of company directors as well, uh, less so on the um, auto-enrolment pension side of things, more so on director pension side of things. Um, but yeah, as, as, a, as a business, you know, we, we tend to see the more high net worth uh, clients. So to be perfectly honest, when it came to reading the report produced, it was quite um, a startling uh, range of statistics. It wasn't something that um, I was expecting to be such a disparity between genders, especially given, obviously, obviously as you've said, um, the success with auto enrollment in general um, and the, the narrowing of the, the gender pay gap to have such a, a difference in almost every life stage um, and how many challenges uh, that women have in, in amassing that pension savings. It was quite striking and it does make you think that, you know, something quite serious needs to be done about it sooner rather than later. Well, thanks, Daniel. We'll be exploring some of the points you've raised there further on in the podcast. But I guess it's not surprising that if women earn less than men, they won't be able to save as much in their pension. But what else is contributing to the gender pension gap? Claire, just outline the key findings of our research. Yeah, so Sarah, although a difference in earnings is the key reason for the gender pension gap, of course, it's not the only one. Now, what's often not receiving the recognition it deserves? Well, the impact of reducing hours, taking a career break or pausing, stopping contributions. And, you know, what that means for the value of pension savings at retirement. When we think about caregiving, women provide twice as much unpaid childcare per year than men, as well as spending more time caring for other adults, so perhaps elderly parents. Now, of course, this comes at a cost to their pay, career opportunities and development. 20% of women providing uh, unpaid care um, reduced their working hours and 26% providing unpaid care um, for a child reduced their working hours. Now, often women who are providing unpaid childcare, well, they're prevented from working more hours despite wanting to. And what about divorce? Now, we know that that can result in lasting financial as well as emotional damage. But what about the impact on pensions? Well, divorce or dissolution of a civil partnership, well, it has an obvious financial impact on both parties. But women typically walk away from divorce substantially worse off than men. And the older the woman is, the worse off they'll be. Now, one of the problems is that pensions often aren't shared in divorce, even though they have to be considered. Now, data from the Family Law Court in England and Wales suggests that only 15% of divorces result in pension sharing. 
with women often choosing to keep the family home and not really seeing their husband's pension as a joint asset, when especially for older women, that can be the most valuable asset when there is a divorce in later life. But of course, there's another major problem now. Fewer people are getting married and currently there are no rights for cohabitees on separation in England and Wales and limited rights in Scotland. Now, Natasha and Daniel, have you seen the impact of these factors we've mentioned? So caregiving, women being more likely to work part time and, and divorce on women's pensions among your clients or schemes. It, you know, is it on employers radars? So Natasha, first of all. Sure. Personally, I don't think it is on employers radars. Um, I think naturally women do, if they have a situation like this where they need to provide care, whether it's to an elderly relative or got issues with their personal health, I think they go to their employers with the problem, but also with a solution. And a woman naturally thinks the solution must be to either cut down my hours or leave. And I think that is just gone along with sometimes. So maybe I, I'm not seeing anything from employers' perspectives where they're trying to encourage women to look at it from a different perspective. Daniel, the same question. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, isn't it, where until you're aware of how significant the issue is, uh, it tends to go under the radar and it's almost one of these these hidden effects of um, effectively doing doing the right thing. You know, at the end of the day, um, if if the care isn't provided in some um, somewhere or another, um, then potentially loved ones and children um, have to go without that real necessary um, part of their their lives to you know support them. And um, it, it tends to be one of those things where it just gets done. So without actually being aware of the issue, um, I don't think anybody uh, is going to sort of actually act against it. Now, obviously, with the reports that have come out, um, it's a really good step in the right direction to highlight the issues so something um, substantial can be done. Uh, and I think, you know, when it comes down to it, once employees are made are more aware and employers are made more aware, some real positive steps can be taken to, to rectify the issues long term. So Sarah, perhaps it's not surprising that women are less confident about their pension savings being enough to give them the retirement that they want. No, I think that's right. And almost half of the women that we surveyed, so 48%, said they weren't confident that their current savings will provide them with an income for the duration of their retirement. And that's compared to 28% of men. So quite a big difference there. Women were also more concerned than men about running out of money more concerned about losing their independence and about not being able to do the things that they really enjoy in retirement. So to look at those in more detail with some figures, 57% of women said they're worried about running out of money in retirement compared to 47% of men. 44% of women were concerned about not being able to do the things they enjoy in retirement compared to 33% of men. And the report has lots of really interesting statistics uh, beyond that, and many of them do have a gender difference, although not as stark as the ones I've just quoted. And, you know, the reasons you've just outlined around women being more likely to work part time, being more likely to provide unpaid childcare or care for elderly family members is likely to be part of the reason why women are more concerned about whether they'll have enough for their retirement. However, our research also showed that a quarter of women, 26 percent, said they never checked the value of their workplace pension and part-time workers were less likely to check 
than those who work full time. But, you know, as we know, it is important to find out what you have in your pension, because without that information, there's no way you can start to plan when you can retire and what that retirement will look like. So we've talked a bit about working patterns, caregiving and the earnings gap, and these do all contribute to the gender pension gap. But there's another reason why women can be substantially worse off in retirement, and that's because of the menopause. Claire, just talk us through what our report has found here. Well, we want women to be supported through the menopause. One million women have left the workforce due to the symptoms of menopause, and many reduce their hours as well. Now, of course, this is at a time when normally people are saving the most into a pension. And we ran some numbers and we looked at a 50 year old woman who um, was working full time until state pension age. Now, if they stayed working, they would be better off by £126,000 um, compared to someone who stopped working at the same age. And we also looked at if someone reduced their working hours by 50% and they would lose out on £63,000 of their pension bought. So quite stark um, numbers there. I think you're right, Claire. I mean, those figures, I think, are quite staggering of the effect both of giving up work at 50 and going part time. But why is this so important? Well, because not all women will be caregivers or get divorced, but all or virtually all will go through the menopause and stopping work or reducing hours will have a significant impact on retirement savings. But with help in the workplace, they might not need to do this. Natasha, do you think women or female clients are aware of the gender pension gap and, and do they tend to think about the immediate future rather than the long term impact? And how do we raise awareness of this? Yeah, I think women do think about the immediate future because they are naturally doing this caregiving uh, responsibility. And I feel that that makes them think more for the here and now as opposed to the long term future. I think something really important that needs to be done is to obviously start the conversation about this with employers, but it needs to be more than just a conversation. There needs to be some action taken and maybe having people that can champion this within businesses and be a safe person to talk to. And also, I think giving women other options other than just reducing their hours or leaving their job role altogether, maybe more flexible working would help. You know, there'll be certain times of the day where women are better than others as a result of going through the menopause and I think having that flexibility at your work will help with that and will stop that need to feel like the only option is to either cut your hours down or leave your job entirely. So I think it does need to start with a conversation but we do need to really implement some action on the back of this as well. And I think naturally women do talk to other women and um, so I think maybe myself being a female advisor that does lend itself well to women feeling more confident to talk about their pensions. I certainly don't see women engaging as much as men do with their pensions. Uh, certainly from the auto-enrolment, I do encourage people to engage with the underlying investments and think about their own life stage. But not everybody gets that opportunity of seeking the advice to do that. And I think that's really important to engage. Thanks, Natasha. And you know, you, you've spoken about engaging with clients and talking about these things, talking to employers. Is the menopause specifically something you think that needs to be discussed more? And will it encourage you to talk um, 
more to your clients about the menopause because of some of the findings we've got? It certainly will. I think the figures, as I mentioned right at the beginning, are quite scary, really. And I think the sooner we get those out there and people talking and thinking about it, the better. I think the difference between the menopause, like you've rightly said, Claire, is having children, whether you have one, two or more, and getting married are a choice, aren't they? Whereas the menopause, women don't really have a choice in this matter. And I think it's very important that it is the, the awareness is raised with employers so that they can support women through this. Very important. And Daniel, sort of similar questions to you, you know, how do we re- raise awareness of some of these issues? And, and as a, a younger male advisor, would you be comfortable talking about some of these um, issues that we're discussing? So the menopause or, or, you know, people who are thinking about going part time to look after children, for example. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, isn't it, where people can be as private or as open as they like. And the great thing about being a financial planner is you can build that trust from day one. So with people gaining more and more exposure to um, these sorts of issues in the media, whether it be via newspapers, podcasts like this, you know, whatever it may be, people feel more comfortable that they understand that everybody or most women like you say are in the same boat and that it's okay to talk about it's quite a taboo subject you know health is is can be very private to some people so i think you know when it comes to being a financial planner creating an environment where you can talk about these issues so you can rectify the potential financial repercussions that's obviously really important but making sure people are aware that it's not just them that you know there are there are those around them that have experienced similar things and that there are ways that we can help and rectify the problems. It's a really important thing to get out there and, and to talk about. I think one of those things with, you know, being um, being a financial planner is, is helping educate um, over the long term how, you know, engaging with your pension savings, engaging with your financial plans makes a very, very big difference um, doing things in the, the here and now can make huge impact uh, in the future and when it comes to retirement and you know I guess putting put, putting things to one side setting and forgetting isn't always the the best option especially when you consider that the the issues that the that women are facing are very ongoing and they are developing and um, as the years go on throughout their career you know obviously there'll be certain stages where perhaps um, things are easier than others and you know ensuring that they're in the best possible position having that ongoing conversation with a financial planner if possible um, would be would be absolutely fantastic to raise awareness so yeah. Okay and Natasha you mentioned about employers and, and what they should be doing to help so do you think this is about raising awareness with employers to help them understand the role they've got um, in reaching women at key life stages and educating all employees, including men? Um, do you think that would help? Do you think there are other things that employers could be doing to help their employees? I think it's very important that employers are thinking about the health and well-being of their employees. If you have happy employees, you have a happy business. It's as simple as that, really, in my view. Personally, it's hard to far reach to everybody and without using marketing as a, as an option and you know putting more paperwork in documentation that you issue to members if you could get this at a higher level and get employers more engaged 
and going back to my previous comment about having a champion in-house maybe that is somebody that has got those softer skills to deal with women facing issues like this and go through the support that they may require which will you know again embed that really good relationship between employer and employee and hopefully then keep hold of good employees long term i think as we close the gender pay gap you know that's going to encourage more women into positions more women into the workplace and as a direct result of that these conversations are going to be required even more to ensure that those women retain those jobs and that they're clearly good at and daniel similar question to you um at royal london we have training for managers and actually a lot of the comments from male managers have been um really positive that we you know they've had this training on menopause do you think as an employee in an organization but also someone who's talking to clients do you think that's useful that that kind of training is for all employees that actually you know, for men, they don't understand a lot of the symptoms and it can actually help them with their wives. It can help them understand what perhaps their mums are going through and so on. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, educating uh, people to be the most helpful that they can be is is really important. Um, you know, making sure that you nurture a, a, an environment um, in the workplace or even at home that is supportive and, you know, opens up conversations that perhaps would have been tricky if, um, you know, you, you weren't better educated. It's it's really important that I think we, we all sort of get on board with what issues people are facing so we can help find solutions to them. And, you know, training for, for managers um, and those in, in, you know, in roles where perhaps this would become very relevant. It, it's one of those things where, like I said earlier, if you're not aware of the issues, it's very difficult to try and find a practical solution that works for people. And um, I think generally speaking, when you're in a day to day of either you know, managing a business or um, you know, looking after a workflow, managing client expectations, that sort of thing, it, it's quite difficult to actually um, you know, take a step back and realise that you know, there's more than more at play in, in the here and now. Um, and I think allowing people um sort of that time to 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 get that training it would be it would be massively important to to bring this issue one to the front of, of people's minds but also to allow uh, you know flexible ways of dealing with with the issues um like we mentioned earlier sort of flexible working anything that you can do to best support your employees you know without without the education being there um, you know we're one step um, behind actually sorting the problem aren't we and a question for both of you. So we've spoken about the fact that sometimes people are stopping contributions, they're pausing, they're delaying um, starting contributions. Are there any tools and resources that you use to help illustrate the cost of that um, for your clients or for um, your the companies you deal with? What would happen if their employees did that? Um, so first of all, to Natasha. Yes, indeed. I mean, I'm a big advocate of using a tool called cash flow modeling, which many financial advisors will have heard of. And it is a fantastic visual tool, but you can also print off reports. So copies for people to take away and we regularly enclose them with um, client for clients. And essentially what this can do is it can show not only the ideal journey that you are trying to take your client on financially, but it can also replicate what could happen if they were to make any ad hoc changes at any time, so stopping contributions to a pension or taking a large withdrawal out of their savings, 
And I think having a visual aid like that that can clearly demonstrate the impact that it can have is really, really important. And this, can, again, can be used alongside the standardised illustrations that have to be given as part of your re regulatory requirements. So, you know, your key facts illustrations that show the, uh, which you as a provider will uh, give to uh, employees of pension schemes quite regularly through, um, you know, issuing general packs. But I think cash flow modelling is really powerful, um, not only visually, but it also the way it encapsulates that journey and the impact making changes can have. And Daniel, you know, similar question for you. Do, do you see that cash flow modelling is um, something that really benefits clients because it's in an easy to un understand format? Yeah, I would definitely second that. Cash flow uh, modelling is a huge um Hugely beneficial tool in, in illustrating, you know, long-term impact of, of increasing, decreasing, pausing contributions, whatever it may be. Um, and it gives you an idea, you know, if you are talking to a family unit um, and you are talking um, about the idea that, say, one partner has to go part-time, you know, by illustrating that, you can potentially find practical solutions. Um, and I think, you know, we, we've talked about it in the past. If um, a partner has to go part time to look after the children, you could potentially illustrate with cash flow modelling how um, perhaps the one that stayed full time could make contributions um, to to the, the person that's providing the care uh, to their their schemes, their pensions, so they they stay on track. So you can you know show potentially what what would happen if um, you, you pause contributions completely, what would happen if you reduced them? What would happen if you kept them at the same level? And you can get a real good illustration of all the different scenarios. So the client's got all of the information to one, you know, illustrate what it is that, um, what, what they're facing, but equally, um, you know, practical solutions to, to, to rectify any issues. And you've both mentioned that how you help um, your clients and have conversations with scheme providers. Question again to both of you, and I'll start first of all with Daniel. What do you think providers can do to help advisors highlight this and to raise awareness of the gender pension gap, both with you know individual clients but also you know employers? Yeah, I think you know the illustrations provided by yourselves when when sort of doing independent research for this podcast, I sort of had a look around and, you know, it's becoming quite um, a topic, all the different things that you've illustrated here, uh, you know, the providers that we deal with in general um, are all issuing their own articles and, and you know, videos and, and sort of um, illustrations. I think, you know, just to get the conversation started, that that's brilliant. Uh, now, obviously, those that work more heavily in the occupational pension scheme area where perhaps this this issue is most prominent and um, you know illustrating um, th these issues perhaps um, when you when you set out in in the scheme but then also perhaps in in the annual um, sort of uh, valuation letters that sort of thing any sort any media that can just keep bringing that home keep bringing that to um, you know the front of people's minds because you know, it's all well and good um, sort of starting people off on this journey, but as the sort of their lives go on and um, perhaps they'll forget some of the conversations that they had with a financial planner or articles that they read a few years ago. And um, so it's really important that we keep up with this sort of this this media and we keep up and, um, you know, advertising that, uh, that that there are issues faced 
um, for whatever reason that, that could impact the, the long-term nature of saving and financial planning. So, you know, I think just keeping up with it and, and keeping that at the front of people's minds um, is really important. And, and Natasha, your thoughts? So I think it's all about building momentum. And um, as Daniel rightly says, start as you mean to go on. So let's get the employers talking, thinking, but then keep it going. I think we also need to bear in mind that there are various ways in which people do digest information. So you need to be able to either access that via video, if that's your preference, or, you know, in writing or electronically. So I think I think we need to allow all these different routes to be available for people in order for them to educate themselves and, and digest this, this very, very important topic. And just leading on from that, I mean, not everybody has a financial advisor. Maybe some people can't or don't want to pay for financial advice. What would you say people, particularly women, but not exclusively, should think about before they either stop, pause or delay making contributions into their pension? And Natasha first this time. Sure. I think the future impact is huge and it's about bringing that to the forefront of people's minds and, and the impact that that can have. Obviously, the purpose of a pension is to replace your income when it's no longer there. It is as simple as that. And I think people don't always look that far ahead. I think for me, it's about the order of priority. So giving up your pension contributions, is that the first resort or is it the last resort? And you've also given up other things, other luxuries that potentially you could go without. So it's about what is the order of priority to people and, and what should and shouldn't be given up and then the future impact of doing so. And, and you know, you could take this right back to the cash flow modelling, but if you're not available to see an advisor or don't have the capacity to do so, then it's really important, I think, when people are considering stopping or stopping contributions that providers have some sort of risk warning there that just makes them stop and think, is there anything else you could be giving up? Do you understand the impact of this? And it sounds a little harsh, I know, but that's the only way, really, I think you're going to make people stop and think. And Daniel, same question to you. Yeah, I think that the the idea of um, almost like a warning would be um, would be a, a good start. I mean, the 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 sort of regulation um, behind, say, taking a withdrawal from a pension is quite strict. When when you first take a withdrawal and you first crystal, crystallise benefits, there are various different stages you have to go through um, before you're given access to that money to ensure that people are, you know, are made aware that they, they're potentially forfeiting how much money they can put in in the future and, and that sort of thing. Perhaps, you know, on pause, um uh, or on reduction there would be um some form of illustration like you say demonstrating um the long-term impact of that just to give people an idea because it, it's a little bit like i know we're talking about pensions here but it's a little bit like insurance contracts you know things like life cover and the like often those sorts of things are the first things people cut back on um, because they're not seeing a benefit in the here and now um, and they fail to think about what they might need in the future. And it's very similar with pensions. You know, when you're saving away day to day, each month you put in a bit away, um, you know, you're building um, a long term part that can support you potentially um, for the rest of your life in retirement. Uh, um, but what you're not seeing is any particular benefit in the in the day to day here and now. And 
that can mean that, like you say, it's the first thing that people cut back on. It's not their priority because they're worried about what's happening right in this moment. And they're not thinking, well, hang on, what's this impact in 25 plus years from now? So it's one of those things where allowing people to do it with, with without um, any comment could, could really mean that once they pause, they actually never start making those contributions again. You know, pausing is one thing if you have the intention to, to restart. But a lot of these sorts of financial planning tools like pensions are, are they habit forming. You know, you, you put the money away and a lot of people don't even notice it leaving. You know, it happens before they even receive their paycheck. So if you get into the habit of, of not paying that money away and you start to think, well, actually, I'd quite like this extra 50, 100, 200 pounds a month to spend especially if it's relating to um, starting a family, you know, that might mean that you never restart those contributions. And, you know, long term, that could be detrimental. So giving people an illustration saying this is the short term impact um, and this is the long term impact, but but equally um, and ensuring that they are aware that as soon as it is feasible for them to restart or continue um, at a reasonable level, um, that they should try and do so because it will mean that the, their financial planning in the future will be much easier. Thanks, Daniel. So just to, um, to finish off the podcast for today, are there any final thoughts that um, both of you would like to um, contribute? So thinking about this problem we've got of kind of um, engaging women at key life stages and anything else that you um, can think of in relation to helping women lose out on these pension contributions so first of all Daniel yeah I think I just think opening conversations up I understand that it's not everybody um has the, the I guess the privilege of, of having a financial planner um but you know understanding that in in most scenarios uh you know these these things are happening because people are trying to do the right thing so um you know supporting each other if it is a family unit and um there are people and one one side um of, of the party has to you know take, spend more time caring for someone perhaps it's an elderly relative or their children that um it isn't just um the person that's full-time that that should prioritize pension planning perhaps there should be you know more of a split and and you know and then equally as well one of the things that came away from that report was the comment that you know childcare for um, at the very least should potentially be split so rather than um, one person going down to say three days a week whilst their partner goes um, and works five um, you know perhaps both doing four days a week the the net impact of which is um, you know they're, they're keeping their their earnings relatively level but as as discussed in the report it's more tax efficient um, and then you know you um, you're splitting the care um, a little bit better but actually um, preventing these issues from becoming so prevalent and so impactful and you know having having that long-term view especially if it, if you are talking about a family unit then realistically between the two of you you know you're both benefiting and as long as that family unit um, remains intact you know the, the difference to each party um, is only is only is nothing other than a benefit so you know it's one of those things working as a team doing the right thing is all well and good but understanding the the wider repercussions of that making sure things remain fair is really really important thanks daniel and Natasha, any final thoughts? 
Yes, indeed. So again, to echo the conversation must start, but then it must continue with momentum and actually implementing change. I think another thing to consider is whilst when people opt out of an auto-enrolment pension scheme, they are put back in every three years or at least reassessed to see whether they should go back in. That is part of the legislation. So that is obviously designed to stop people being out forever. However, I think the lower threshold being set at, say, 6,240, which it is for the current tax year, you know, maybe scrapping that and allowing people that are assessed as eligible to be eligible for more of their earnings will then assist women on, on getting more money into their pension. Divorce is a big thing. Again, I know we've talked about menopause, but, you know, realigning the rules around pensions and divorce, maybe making it more favourable. I've acted as an independent uh, specialist witness for divorce cases where they've needed somebody to actually explain what people can do with their pensions and how it can be allocated to other parties. And I think, you know, spending some time on that would be really important. But for me, it is all about starting the conversation and keeping the momentum going and giving women the chance to feel that they're supported through a process as opposed to thinking that the only option is to stop their work or at least, you know, cut their hours down. That's great, thank you. Well, thank you to Natasha um, from Hawson's Wealth Management and um, Daniel from Acumen for joining us today. Well, as an industry, we have a duty to raise awareness of the gender pension gap and to help both employers and women understand the impact of reducing their working hours, taking time out to look after children or provide care. That information won't in itself close the gender pension gap, but it should help women and their employers to understand the impact of the decisions women make on about their working lives. Because these decisions don't just have an immediate financial impact, they can affect a woman's future finances and standard of living in retirement. Well, if you'd like to read our full gender pension gap report, please visit advisor.royallondon.com forward slash workplace hyphen pensions. Thanks very much again to our guests and thank you for listening.